upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I um, have been working on Hebrews. The Lord uh, placed upon my heart uh, just to preach this message this morning, and it's called Turn Them from Darkness to Light. And uh, had other things planned. I was talking to one of the members of the church. I said, I had all this all worked out. I was going to come in. I'm going to preach a message out of Hebrews. And, and God changed my mind. And, uh, and he has a right to do that. Amen. Amen. And uh, God just laid upon my heart. We've got this revival coming up. And this is March 18th through the 21st. And, and, you know, I think we have it in our minds that a revival is, okay, that means that pastor wants us just to be here. Uh, and he wants us to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's what that's about. So we'll be in all those services. Hopefully the guy that comes has a good repertoire of jokes that will make us feel good. And we'll just kind of hang out for three nights. And uh, at the end of it, we were in church for three days and, uh, you know, four days. And, uh, you know, wow, it's over. And folks, I have to tell you something. Our nation needs revival. We need revival in the United States of America. Revival starts in us, and you say, well, what are you talking about, Pastor? The fact is, is that we don't just come here just to hear a message so we can go home uh, and just kind of mark our box off that everything's kind of done, and man, I got mine this week, and hopefully you got yours in this week. It's really about God changing us. When you come to church, it's not just about sitting through a service and having heard a message. It's about God really changing us. We're going to talk about a man who was really reluctant in the scriptures to do what God had called him to do, and so much so that he got swallowed up by a whale. How many of you know that story? Huh? And we know it's a whale because Jesus told us later on, and it's not a big fish. It's a whale. Amen? Jesus let us know that. And so this man was so reluctant to go to a people. He was so reluctant to go and share a message that God had given to him. In fact, he ran from God. And it said that when he was at the bottom of the ocean, when the weeds were wrapped about his head, he says this. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there physically, personally, spiritually, but you felt like the weeds were wrapped about your head. It took him to the bottom of the ocean. And he says, when I was at the bottom of the ocean with the weeds wrapped about my head, he said, then I remember the Lord. And it says, and God came to Jonah a second time. He said, yes, sir. <laughs> he was ready to go now, wasn't he? But even after he went to this people, he got kind of bitter about the whole thing. He got bitter about it, and he turned away from God, and he got mad at God, and God had provided him things. And, and, and here he gets upset because these people actually turned to the Lord. They turned their ways around. Now I'm going to read something to you out of Jonah, and then we're going to look at God not only changing a nation, but how he changes an individual, and how even when this person was... And God still put him in a position. As Jonah was in the belly of the well three days. That's the only other thing we hear because we don't really hear much about Jonah after that. Because he was a very bitter man. He was a very angry man. He was very upset that God had chosen to use him and not to go to a people whom he would love, but go to a people whom he did not love. And then we see a guy like Paul on the road to Damascus, Saul on the road to Damascus, and God turned his life around. And what I want to share with you is we never know when we're going to walk into a town or a community and God's going to use us just like he used Jonah to turn a people from their wicked ways unto Christ. 
You never know when you're going to share the gospel with someone and they'll be just like Saul and maybe persecuting the church maybe just a heathen and living in a way that is just ungodly. And God chooses that day to use you to win that soul to Jesus Christ <laughs> and that life get turned around. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to Jonah first. And, and, uh, and, uh, but uh, while you do that, turn to Acts 26. You can put your finger there in 14 and 18 and go back to Jonah chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 first. Jonah. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Everybody with me? Say amen. Verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, what does it say? A second time. Saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Not a long message, is it? <laughs> I think he repeated it over and over, letting them know as he's walking into the city. In verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God. You ought to underline that in your Bible. So the people of Nineveh believed whom? Not Jonah. They believed whom? God. And proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. Meaning from nobility down to the man that was in a pit. The man that was at the lowest ebb and the man that was on the highest throne at that time in Nineveh. And it says this. It says, they believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. You ought to underline that in your Bible. Crying mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way, and from the violence that is in his, their hands, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Father, thank you for your word. I ask God that you would just work in a great and mighty way in the church service this morning. Lord, that you would just use your word in a mighty way to encourage our hearts, to help us see, Father, that a man, even a reluctant man, being used of God, a heart of a people can be turned. And Lord, I praise you and thank you for showing us in the scriptures and showing us the need, Lord, whether nobility or whether it be the man on the street corner. Lord, everyone needs Christ. This place of Nineveh was an evil, evil, wicked place, Lord. And yet you saw fit to reach out to them with a message that they might believe God and turn from their wicked ways. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for all of your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn to Acts 26 with me now, if you will. Acts 26.
Acts 26, and we'll begin in verse 14. The Bible says, And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, and saying in the Hebrew tongue, verse 14, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. And here's the key to it all, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. I want to share this thought with you this morning, and that is this. God did not plant Calvary Chapel here on accident. If man planted this church, it's useless. But if God planted this church, it's got a purpose. Amen? And so the purpose of the church is to reach the lost with the gospel. I'm showing you a little bit of a contrast here of what God can do. And what God can do is he can take even a reluctant man and place him somewhere that he'll do the work of the Lord and God can turn a people from wickedness to godliness. God can take a man who was persecuting the church and putting the church down and killing people and he can turn him from darkness to light. And then he gave him the responsibility to do the same thing. He gave him the responsibility to go amidst these people and share the gospel with them. Paul had been given this ministry by God to reach the Gentiles with the gospel message. You know, there are times that I believe God gives all of us something, a task that he wants us to do. And, and we're so busy and our minds are so busy and our hearts are so busy and we're just so busy that we can't hear God anymore. We're just so busy with everything we have going on around us that we miss out on God. Now, this is why I challenge you in the mornings, get alone with God. Spend some time in prayer. Read the Word of God. You can never know the will of God if you don't read the Word of God because the Word of God is the will of God. And if you're never in the Word of God, how would you ever know what the will of God is? The idea is, is that I get alone with God, that I spend time in prayer. It's a time of worship. It's a time where I really commune with my God in heaven. God begins to speak to my heart, and God speaks to me through His Word. And when I read and I'm challenged by the Word of God in my life. And when I look at this and I see this, this book here that we have that we possess, God has given it unto us not for it to collect dust, but that we might communicate a message to a lost and dying world. That we might reach out to a people that have never heard of God. And you say, hey, listen, we live right here in the United States. I'm going to tell you, there is a greater ignorance of this book today than there ever has been in the history of our country. There is. There are fewer people they know about Jesus Christ, but they don't know him. <laughs> They've heard about him, but they don't know who he is. We're so uh, engrossed in religion that we forget that the, even the reason that we come together is because of Jesus Christ. The very purpose that we're meeting in this building this morning is not just for our benefit, although it benefits us, but it is for the purpose that we come together that God recharges through the power of the preaching of his word that we may go out amidst a lost and dying world, listen, a perverse and crooked nation and reach them with the gospel. You say, well, we live in Minster. It's, it's really good here. I mean, we've got a less than 1% crime rate here. I want to tell you, I believe there's more going on in people's basements than we know. 
And God needs to reach them with the gospel, and he's challenging Calvary to accomplish that. We also find another man in the scriptures that was given a mission to fulfill, and he began to run from it. He began to run from God. And there are so many people running away from God today. It's insane. They don't want to be challenged by the word of God. They don't want to be challenged in their hearts to live for God. In fact, the Bible says, be holy for I am holy. He said, you need to be holy. We don't even want to preach on holiness today. We don't want to talk about holiness today. Because holiness means that I have to come in line to do what God wants me to do. When I look to the scriptures, we as a church have been given a mission and a mission field from God. It's our responsibility to pray for our Jerusalem and to pray for revival to come. And listen, where does it begin? It begins in you and me. We're going to do this. Brother Angle's coming in. I want you to start praying for Tom Angle. For what, Pastor? What do we need to pray for him about? That God would provide him the messages that we need to hear. Amen? Ask God to do that. And then whenever the revival comes, don't look on your calendar and say, well, you know what, uh, the showman's playing tonight, or this is playing tonight, or uh, I'm going to run to Columbus, or I'm going to go run down here to Dayton. Uh, I I've got to meet friends at Winnin's Coffee House. I've got to go to New Bremen. I've got to go do this. Listen, get in the house of God to listen to his word being preached. <laughs> if we want to see souls saved, if we want to see people's lives changed, we ought to start praying for them now. Pray for someone that you can bring to the revival. Who is that? I don't know. I have no idea. But listen, you run into probably more, if not more, people than I do in a day's time. And you have opportunity to share the gospel with them. You have opportunity to give them a track. Listen, invite them to God's house. You know, if you're excited about the Lord, you'll be excited about inviting people to God's house. The people or types of people are not what's important, folks, but the souls of the lost. The Lord desires to save people from an eternal hell. Their background is unimportant to God. If their background was important, he would have been concerned about Saul, wouldn't he? He would have said, well, wait a minute, Saul here, he's over here persecuting the church. He held the cloaks of those that stoned Stephen. Man, he's a worthless old cuss, man. We don't need him. And yet God said, I'm going to take Saul and I'm going to turn his life around. He tried to use Jonah. Jonah began to run from him. Jonah began to run away from God, and God turned him around. Now, God used the great well to turn Jonah around, did he not? Sent him into a city, a reluctant man, to preach a message, and the people got saved, and Jonah ended up getting mad because <laughs> people actually got saved because people turned from their wicked ways and unto Christ. Listen, let's not be like Jonah. Let's not run from God, and let's not get upset when people get saved. Hey, they're irritated and their tattoos and the color of their hair and the clothes that they wear does not stop them from being saved. It doesn't. Nothing stops someone from being saved. If he could go into Nineveh and he could win these people who, by the way, were very wicked and ungodly people, and I'll get to this in just a moment, they were very wicked, ungodly people. They did things worse than even Hitler did to his own people and to the nation of Germany and to the Jews. They even did worse things than you can imagine. Unfathomable things. When you look at this, the Lord brought me and my family here and his desires to work through us and those of you in the room this morning to reach a people. It's all I came for, to reach people with the gospel. I have no other agenda. I just want to see people get saved. I want to watch folks get saved. 
Consider your role and what God has for you to help uh, reach people with the gospel. You know, when you think about it, if we don't reach them, what's the alternative for them? That they'll die and go to hell. Listen, if Jesus Christ died for men, he thought so much to come, the only begotten Son of God, and he became man and remained sinless and died on the cross and shed his own blood, do you think it was important to him to die for mankind? If that was important to him, and here's where I'm challenging you this morning. If you're saved this morning, say amen. If you're saved, listen to me. The Holy Spirit of God resides in you. Did you hear what I said? The Holy Spirit came and indwelled you the day you got saved. Now the Bible says, ye are not your own, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God and in your body which are his, they belong to him. You need to do that in your body and your spirit which are God's, they are not ours. If you are saved, this is not yours, this is God's. Now, this is what I want to challenge you with. The Bible then demonstrates to us through Jesus Christ, by his word, that the Holy Spirit came to testify of Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole role, responsibility of the Holy Spirit of God who came to indwell us when it says in the scriptures that he came that he might testify of Christ. What are we indwelled with? Holy Spirit. What then is the role of the Holy Spirit? To testify of whom? Christ. What then should be our role if we are not our own and we've been bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. What is it that God desires for us to do? If he gave us his spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit is to testify to mankind, then that, folks, is the purpose of the local New Testament church. <laughs> that is our role. Not someone's creed, color, social status, anything. It is to witness to mankind. Amen. When I look to the scriptures, I want to challenge you with this. We must go to them and turn them from darkness to light as we seek God for revival. Turn with me, if you will. Hold your finger there in Acts. We're going to come right back to this. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 with me, if you will. Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to look at verse 15 and 16. If you think this not so, all you had to do was watch the State of the Union address the other night. And you look and you see what's happening in our nation. And you listen to the president speak and people actually getting upset about progress. Amen. I mean, angry people, people that are just bitter. And I want you to look at this and look at verse 15. Everybody with me, say amen. Philippians 2.15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a what, folks? Crooked and what? Look at me. That is our nation right now. It is crooked and it is perverse. And it's getting worse. They spent $17 million of your tax dollars and mine covering up sexual inhibition between themselves and others. All of this money was used, your money and mine. We live in a crooked and perverse nation. Now, I'm going to go down for Awake America again, 12th, 13th, and 14th. They asked me to go down and meet with Jim Jordan. I want to go down and meet with Jim Jordan again. Jim is trying desperately, desperately to help them open up a case to show what's been going on behind the scenes. Now, listen to me. 
if it's in Washington, D.C., if it's at the highest levels of government, then how is that trickling down? And here's our challenge then. Then what is the purpose of the local New Testament church then? We need to go reach the nobles, and we need to go reach the man on the street corner. Amen? And listen, whenever leadership starts to get saved and leadership starts to change, things will change. If you think it not so, go back to Jonah and look. Whenever the king got saved, things began to change, didn't they? And all of a sudden, hearts got turned around. And all of a sudden, people started to do right. And all of a sudden, some things began to happen. And I'm telling you, we need to reach anybody in our community that is in any kind of a leadership position, and we need to reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, that's why we hired you. Then pray for them to get saved. Amen? Pray for our mayor to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Pray for our city council to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then you pray that someone is bold enough and enough confidence in Jesus Christ to go and share the gospel with them. Amen? Because they need to get saved. And by the way, a town, a community, a nation will not change until leadership starts to get saved. When they do, things begin to happen. Are you willing to go into the darkness to help shine forth the light? Three major changes that occur when we spread the gospel, when we spread the word of God. I think, first of all, eyes are opened. What was the challenge to Paul? Well, let's go back and look here in uh, Acts chapter 4, or 26. He says, to open their eyes. Now, at least just saying, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now, I want to challenge you with something. Does that not ring true to open their eyes? How do we open their eyes? It's not that they're standing there like this. It's that they have blinders over them and they cannot see Christ. They cannot see what he's capable of doing. They do not know. Listen, if they did, the house of the Lord would be full on Sunday mornings. Eyes are open. Lives are turned around. People begin to change. What happened when Jonah went? All of a sudden, here's a nation who's wicked and ungodly. And what happened? All of a sudden now, they're in sackcloth and ashes, are they not? Crying out to the mighty one of heaven. They believed whom? God. They believed God. Why? Because God sent a message to them. And God is using the local New Testament church to send a message to a lost and dying world. We're a part of all of that. We make that up, and, and we become that, uh, that, that, that catalyst, that, that avenue, that channel, that vessel to get that message out. It is us. And then forgiveness is granted. And you know, when it says, and God repented, it doesn't mean that God repented of his sin. Not at all. He relented. He pulled back the judgment. He stayed the judgment that he was going to put up on Nineveh. And when it says God repented, it's not like God knelt down and began to pray and say, oh, please forgive me. It's not that kind of repentance. He relented. He pulled back. He did not judge them as that was necessary. Listen, that is the same thing that happens to a soul when it gets saved. They are no longer going to get the judgment they deserve. But boy, God has pulled back his wrath. Isn't that wonderful? Now I want you to think about this. When those eyes are open, there are many ungodly people in this world, but God does not define what a person should look like, behave like, or be guilty of or not guilty of to get saved. It doesn't matter. 
doesn't matter what their background is. You know, that's why we have prison ministries in this country. <laughs> Men go in and women go into these prisons to win people to Christ. You say, well, if they murdered someone, they're going to die and go to hell. But if they ask Jesus Christ to save them, I'm telling you, they're on their way to heaven. Amen? Amen. Their background's not important to God. Why? Because finally their eyes are open. Now, do they have a penalty that they have to pay for the sin in which they did? Yes, and so do we. And by the way, there are consequences for sin. And then there comes that time where God draws that line in the sand and you begin to do what's right and you get on the other side of that. But listen, sometimes there's still some consequences for things we did in the past, are there not? And they're still here with us now sometimes. And you're saying, I've been saved for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. When is it going to end? I don't know. But sometimes the consequences of sin are great, are they not? And what the Bible teaches us is that eyes are open. You know, the parameter for salvation is a person must be alive. They need to be breathing. <laughs> need to be walking around, you know, or at least conscious can hear and understand what you're saying to them. It, it doesn't matter what the background is. I went to a man's house one night, and when I walked into the room, the pastor had sent me out there. Mr. Sixma was his name. I walked into his house. pastor said, listen, I need you to go out and meet this fellow. This guy's going to die, Bob, and he needs to know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Could you please go out there and witness to him? And I go out to the house, and as I got into the house, I took my Bible out, and I, I went in, and his son is standing there in the house. And I, I walked over to and he was laying in a recliner. He was leaning back in that recliner. And while he was laying back in that recliner, Mr. Sixma is sitting there gasping for air. He understood every word I said to him. He knew exactly what I was asking him. And I asked him, I said, Mr. Sixma, things are not looking good for you. If you were to die, you know for sure if you'd go to heaven. Mr. Sixma said, no, I do not. I said, would you give me an opportunity to open the Bible and show you how you can know for sure if you died today that heaven can be your home? He said, yes. His son was standing right there beside me. I opened the Bible and I began to show him from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ how he could know for sure if he died today, heaven could be his home. His son was standing there. All of a sudden, his son said, ah, and he ran out of the room. And I thought, good night, what just happened? Man, I turned to Mr. Sixma, and I said, Mr. Sixma, would you like to pray and ask Jesus Christ to save you? He looked right up at me, and he said, no. No. I said, Mr. Sixma, I said, you know you're going to die because I don't care. His son's out on the front porch. I went out on the porch, and he's out there. He's weeping. I thought he heard what his dad had said. And I asked him, I said, what's wrong? He said, I understood what you said. I need to do that. Amen. I need to pray and ask Jesus Christ to save me. And right there on that porch, I led that man to the Lord. His eyes were opened. Here's a man whom the scales were way too dark on his eyes. He couldn't see. He said, well, maybe, maybe at the last moment, maybe at the last second. maybe." Hey, listen, I want to tell you, most people don't even get the opportunity that Mr. Sixma had. They just don't. Because it usually just ends, doesn't it? But they need to know Christ. How are the eyes open? Well, he told Paul to turn them from darkness to light. When I look into the scriptures and I see 
Jonah was given Nineveh. Jonah went there and he began to teach and preach, telling them, listen, 40 days and it's over. And God won the nobles and won the common man and won the wicked one. And he turned them around. And he turned their lives around. Why? Because their eyes were opened. Nineveh was a very wicked and ungodly place, folks, and their wickedness had come up before the Lord. Listen, this was more violent than you can even imagine. And they were carefree with their violence. Listen, they would take people's bodies and dip them in tar, and then they would run a stick up through them and use them to light their games at night. It's pretty wicked, isn't it? There, there were things that they would do. They would just stack bodies together and pour tar over them and set them on fire so that they could have heat. Wickedness. Nineveh was a very wicked place. In fact, history tells us, and probably the reluctance of Jonah, was that those folks, the Ninevites, had killed Jonah's father. And God sent Jonah to witness to those people. Do you know what God was teaching Jonah? Do you know what God's teaching us through all of that? His mercy. Great mercy it would take, wouldn't it? Oh, and as we look at this, what happens? Well, the eyes are open. Turn with me to Romans 10, if you will. And, and the eyes of the people need to be open. God sent Jonah to them. Their eyes would be open. And Jonah reluctant to preach the message of judgment, yet God saved their souls through the truth of his word. That's what ended up happening. Through the truth of God's word. Romans chapter 10, are you with me? Verse 13. And you ought to underline this in your Bible if you've never done it. The Bible says, for whosoever. Who does that mean? Does it say anybody's background? The color of their hair, their social status, how many tattoos or lack thereof? How many earrings? How many piercings in their body? Does it say anything like that? The Bible says one thing, for whosoever. How many does that mean? Everybody, anybody. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Look at this with me. Shall be what, folks? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I want to tell you something. God used Jonah to do just that. Amen? Ninevites hadn't heard it. They hadn't gotten the message. And God said, listen, how will they hear unless someone be sent? And what I'm sharing with you, the local New Testament church, the responsibility that we have before God is just to do just that, to go and preach the gospel. Jonah was reluctant. Look at uh, chapter 18 with me again in, in Acts. Uh, go to Acts chapter 18. I want you to look at this. Acts chapter 18. Verse 5, and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Amen. He was pressed in the what? He was pressed in the what? What do we have in us? The spirit of God. When's the last time the spirit pressed you? When's the last time you were pressed in the spirit? When's the last time you felt the need to really witness to someone? Watch what happens. And when they oppose themselves, <laughs> I want to tell you something. People do not think they need Jesus Christ. They do not think they need the gospel. And you need to find a way to get that message to them. 
And you say, how does that work? He says this in this passage. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. These people themselves. They didn't want to hear it. Listen, dust yourself off, shake your raiment off, and move on to the next person. But don't stop witnessing. Keep on giving the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to people and eventually you'll be just like Jonah and come up on a people that need to be saved. Or you'll be just like Paul and you'll be in a town or a location. Or you'll be just like Christ with the woman at the well or the madman of Gadarenes. God will give you someone if you are walking with God. He'll give you somebody. He said in verse 7, And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. Wait a minute. The what? Of the synagogue? Who was this? And believed what? Does that mean that if a man gets caught up in a false religion that he can still get saved and his heart can turn from that false religion unto Christ? Isn't that what that passage has taught us? <laughs> you look at that passage and he says, and, and, and he says in Christmas, the chief ruler of the what, folks? The synagogue. The synagogue. And it says, the chief ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his house and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Listen, once that guy in the synagogue got saved, woo! Things started to happen. He got saved, and all of a sudden, other people started getting saved, didn't they? And you look at what starts to happen, and listen, we reach one household. You don't know what effect one household will have on this church. You reach one family with the gospel, and they happen to know somebody. And you win them to Christ, and they happen to know somebody. And they win someone to Christ, and they happen to know somebody. Do you know multiplication is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Isn't it a wonderful thing? I wish my bank account multiplied all the time. How about you? Huh? It'd be nice. You know, you look in a retirement account and you're like, Pfft. doesn't seem like it's going anywhere, does it? And think of it is, multiplication is nice when it comes to money. Hey, I want to tell you something. That same thing works in the house of God. Multiplication works. And what it is is that we have this situation here that, that Paul is, is trying to reach out to these people. And he says in verse 9, And then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. He said, Don't stop talking about me. Don't stop. Now watch this. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. When Ron Boldman planted this church, there are much people in this city that needed Jesus Christ, and it has not changed today. Amen. Still needs to happen. He came because it is hard. He came because it is religious. He came because there were a people who needed Christ Jesus. And you know, it hasn't changed. <laughs> It still needs to happen. What do we do about it? Let's ask God to open their eyes. We've got a revival coming up, March 18th through the 21st. Brother Tom Engel is going to be with us. He's going to be preaching. And here's the thing. Start praying for his messages. Start praying for people to come and start inviting folks to come. And then you be in your place. You come. And let's watch 
as God begins to open the eyes of the lost and maybe even those of us that are saved to see that God's still in the business of saving souls. Amen. And we look to the scriptures today. If the eyes of the people are to be open, we've got to take the message of hope to them. Let me give you this. It says in verse 5 of Jonah, he said, So the people of Nineveh believed God in verse 10 and, and saw their works, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil ways. So what did it take? Someone to tell them about Christ. Someone to tell them that there's salvation. Someone to tell them that the Messiah was on his way. Right? What are we teaching them today? He's coming what? Why is the church here? Because he's coming what? He's on his way back. And you say, well, it hadn't happened yet, preacher. You know, the church at Thessalonica thought the same thing. And Paul straightened them out too, amen? And he let them know, hey, by the way, he is coming back. And I, I keep reading in Thessalonica, in, in the book of Thessalonians, and it says, and the people fought, fell under a great delusion and believed a lie. What is happening today in our nation? How many lies are being told and people are believing the lies? And you say, why is that happening, preacher? Because the world has to be prepared for the Antichrist to come. Has to be. And they have to believe a lie to do so. And we look to the scriptures and you say, preacher, what do you want us to do? Let's go into the darkness and help open the eyes of the blind and show them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say, well, why would we do that? Because lives are turned around. Let's go back to Acts 26. Lives are turned around. He said to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Wow. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. Who is the prince of the power of this air? Satan is. He's the prince in the power of this air. He wants to destroy people. He wants to destroy lives. He wants to destroy anything about God's book. He wants to destroy what marriage is. He wants to destroy the fact that it's supposed to be one man and one woman. He wants to destroy life. He, he wants people to abort their children. He wants people to just destroy their lives and, and get uh, engrossed in alcohol and drugs. He wants people to turn away from God. He wants the world in darkness because then he has control. Why? Because he's the prince and the power of this era. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the what, folks? Now think about that statement for just a moment. Who is the prince and the power of this era? Satan is. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the what, folks? Who's greater? Christ is. Why do people need to be saved? So that they're not taken in by Satan. Now, Paul, at this point in his ministry, had seen many lives turn to Christ, and the very story that's told is about him. And I just want you to get a hold of this. This is the reason that we continually share the gospel with others, because you never know. Paul persecuted the church. Paul killed people. Paul was putting people in jail. And God turned his life around. And he became one of the greatest writers of the scriptures of all time. He's written more books in the New Testament than any other writer. And you look at his life and you say, how did God use him? Because he got saved. <laughs> Amen? How did God use him? He got saved. And when he got saved, God began to turn him around. I already shared with you about the bad man of Gadarenus. Listen, lives are turned around. Luke 8, 35. You can write this down. We don't have to turn there. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. <laughs> 
I want to tell you something. When people get saved, change occurs. Amen? He tells us then that we're a new creature in Christ. And when you look at people, don't look at the outward. Try to see them as God sees them. There is a lost soul inside a lot of these bodies out here. And these bodies need Christ Jesus. And they're never going to change unless they trust. Christ, amen? Because what happened to the madman of Gadarenes? He was out there and there was a devil in him and he was out there cutting himself and screaming and yelling and carrying on, causing a bunch of, a bunch of nonsense. In fact, the town was starting to make money off him because he's such a wild man. And what happened when Jesus got a hold of him? He was then clothed. That man was running around naked and God clothed him. And he said that he was in his right mind and at the feet of Christ. I want to tell you, people don't change unless Jesus Christ enters into their life. When he enters in, people begin to change. What about us? Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? The Bible says the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what that means? Anybody that's never trusted Christ as Savior, they're not going to heaven. Anybody that has never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, I don't care how nice a person they are. I don't care how many good things they did. I don't care how many philanthropic things they did. They are not getting into heaven unless they've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen. And the Bible clearly states in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Now listen to me. And this is what's going on in our nation. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers to themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. They will not get into heaven if that is where they are and have never trusted Christ as Savior. But I want you to know something this morning. The Bible didn't end there. And he said, and such were some of you. It's exactly what we were. Running away from God. Trying to get out of his presence. Trying not to really know who he was. And you know what I love about my Bible? He said, but ye are washed. <laughs> I got washed one day, amen? <laughs> and he said, but ye are sanctified, amen? Woo! Something happened. Things changed. Now I'm sanctified. And he goes on and he says this, but you're justified, not in my name, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're justified. Not in what I can do or what I've done or what I'm going to do. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm justified. You know what justified means? I'm no longer guilty. Amen. Amen. Hey, that's for some of us. We sit there and we look at that and we go, yeah, that crooked perverse day. That's right. You look at that preacher down there. You see, man, them bunch of wicked, ungodly people. I want to tell you, it's right here in our community, in our county. It's all around us. People like to hide sin, by the way. They don't want you to know that they're sinning. <laughs> and they like to hide it. But whenever they get Christ, lives are changed. Amen. People begin to change. God said in Samuel 16, 7, he said, For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the what? He knew Paul was going to be something he could use, didn't he? We don't know who God wants to use. Don't be a judge. Be a witness. Amen? Amen. Don't be a judge. Be a witness. Stop judging people for the way they're dressed or the way they look or how they're living their lives and start being a witness to them. Amen? A witness is going to win them to Christ. He said, ye shall be witnesses. He never said, ye shall be judges in that way. He said, ye shall be what, folks? Witnesses. We need to witness. 
Lives are changed through the word of God, and only he can grant forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? God begins to show his mercy. The last part of this is this. He said to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that we may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by the faith that is in me. Listen, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Who's going to do that? Who did it for you? How's that going to happen? It's going to happen the same way it happened to you. Pastor, you don't know this person, man. I don't need to know them. All I know is I have a Christ who can save them, amen. Now we need to witness to them. The power of Satan, oh man, is great and can even drive people to act like the Ninevites. Think about that for just a moment. Look at where our nation is today. When you really start hearing the stuff coming out of Washington, D.C., does it make you just want to go, Argh! how many of you felt this way? Or how many of you feel that way? You just want to scream. How many of you want to reach through the TV and grab some of them and say, listen to me, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? You fool, right? Foolishness, isn't it? That's who's leading our nation. God help us. But I want you to know something, and I want to ask some of you, if you want to go, you're welcome to go with us down to Awake America. I want you to go up on the Capitol Hill and see there's some saved people up there. There's some people who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when you go down and you talk to them, they'll tell you it's like Sodom and Gomorrah down here. And they're in the midst of it. And they're trying they really are. But listen, they don't make the news. They don't make the headlines. They're not in the news because it's not controversial enough. And so they don't make the news. The power of Satan is great and can even drive people to live like the Ninevites. But the wonderful thing about salvation, the day you trusted Christ, God said, for as the heaven is high above the earth and so great is his mercy toward them that fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed transgression from us. Amen. You know what I love about that verse? He didn't say from north to south. <laughs> Do you know why you start going north? Guess what's going to start happening? You're going to start going south. Do you know if I start going east and I just keep going east, guess what I'm always doing? Huh? I'm always going east. I have to actually turn around and go west. <laughs> but you know, if I'm going north, eventually guess what will start happening to me? You know, God is so smart, isn't he? God said as far as the east is from the west. Why? Because they're not meeting, but north and south do at some point, don't they? God is so wonderful. He said, listen, I separated your sin that far away. You know what it is? It's like this. God said, I took it and I kind of hid it behind my back. I can't see it no more. What a great God we serve. Amen? Amen. Man, that's amazing. And so listen, regardless of a person's condition, spiritual condition, they can be saved. Amen? Regardless of how destitute they might be, as much of a deplorable as they might be, as much as an ungodly person they might be, Christ can save them. Why? Well, this says that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Who's going to do that? Jesus is. How is he going to do it? He's going to use the local church. Forgiveness of my sin was granted to me the day I trusted Christ, and I'm no more in bond to my sin. I'm no more ready for death and hell. Listen, heaven is my home. Amen? I'm not jockeying to try to get there. There's nothing else I have to do. I could just stop. But the fact is, is what are you going to do with so great a salvation he hath given unto you? What are you going to do with it? And if the Holy Spirit resides in me, and the Holy Spirit came to testify of Jesus Christ, and it indwells me, the Spirit of God indwells me, then what should I be doing? <laughs> Being a witness. Being a witness for Christ. Do not say, 
I will not pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. I don't care what condition they're in. Pray for them. Well, they're on their way to jail. I quit praying for them. Pray for them. Well, they're worthless. Pray for them. When do I stop, preacher? When they get saved or they part this earth. Keep on praying for them. After they die, you can do nothing for them. But while they're here, you can pray for them. Well, you don't know their condition. I don't have to. God does. All I need to do is my part, and I'll start praying for them. And every opportunity I get, I'm going to share the gospel with them. <laughs> Just do my part. Pray for God to send forth revival into our hearts, into our church. Listen, let me, let me make this statement. I wrote this down, and I, I want you to hear this. Never limit what God wants to do through you. Never limit what God wants to do through you. Don't stop. Never limit what God wants to do through you. What does he want to do? Well, I know he told us ye shall be witnesses. I know he told us that. He told every saved person ye shall be witnesses. But never limit what God wants to do through you. You see, listen, it's when I have this spirit or this attitude that it ceases to work. I hear you, Lord, but no. Now, we would never say it that way. But I know God pricks our hearts to do things at times. To reach out to someone or share the gospel with them or to hand out a track or to show them how to get saved or to witness to someone. I know God does. Hey, listen, I'm a saved man. I know what that feels like. And if you're saved, you do too. You know exactly what that feels like. And so God impresses upon us to do something and never limit what God wants to do through you. Well, it would be embarrassing if I do this right here. Well, man, if people hear me saying this, you know, they're going to know. <laughs> know what? That you're saved? <laughs> know that you're a Christian? Know that you care about others? Really? That's what you're concerned about? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Hey, listen, the power of salvation is Christ Jesus. And don't be ashamed. Let's pray. Father.